everyone. How's it going? It's Anthony Cazenza with the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. And another week against the Steelers and another creative way that the Bengals find to lose the game. Very exciting game. Very heartbreaking game. Uh, kind of kind of also a dreary game for those who were in actual attendance for the contest. But nonetheless, the Bengals once again fall to the Steelers in heartbreaking fashion, uh, 28-21. And we're here to talk all about that. We're going to talk about the Chiefs game on Sunday Night Football. But we're also going to make this episode of the Orange and Black Insider, we're going to make it very listener heavy. And But what I mean is we're going to take a lot of texts. We're going to try and take quite a few calls. We're going to t- try and take um, comments, tweets, all that kind of stuff. We've already got some stuff teed up on that front. Um, so uh, during the middle of the show this time, we're going to take a lot of your questions, a lot of your tweets, texts, live comments in the YouTube chat. So hit us up. Um, we'll give you the, the live number to hit up in just a little bit, but, uh, I want to bring in my co-host, John Sheeran. John, you're still repping a little bit with the Bengals shirt there. How you doing after this one? This, this, this was a heartbreaker. Oh, uh, you know, I'm just in the middle of failing midterms in school, just like the Bengals are failing midterms in the NFL season. <laughs> I, I like the correlation there. I like the correlation there. Very well done. Um, yes, and I, I do appreciate your dedication because for those who do not know, John usually records in the comfort of his own home, uh, but the Wi-Fi is having issues there. So he has gone to the University of Cincinnati Library, the digs there. You can <laughs> tell there, there's a lot of Artwork and good stuff going on in the background. Not at all. Yeah, for sure. Not and the light, lighting here gives me like Pete Davidson eyes. So I apologize <laughs> for the YouTube viewers. Yeah, well, I I, I appreciate you uh, appreciate you joining us. I know our listeners are, are stoked to have you with us once again. We may be joined by a special guest in just a little bit, but we will see. Let's start off with this Steelers game, John. Uh, another another way the Bengals just uh, you know. But even though they lost, this one had kind of a different feeling to it because they played relatively well on offense. They hung in there, and they did what they've done for most of the season, which is come back late, Mm -hmm. have a nice, you know, have a nice drive towards the end of the game. And with, you know, less than a minute and a half, they score the go-ahead touchdown, you think. Yeah, you're a little worried about the time on the clock, but you're kind of saying, hey – They've done this before now this year. They've won games in this way. Finally, they're slaying the dragon, and then it erupts on them. Your overall thoughts before we dive into into some more distinct things into the game. Yeah. um, Like, before the game, it it just kind of felt like like this game will tell us a lot about how good this team is, I guess, because, you know, being 4-1 – Five weeks into the year, dealing with you know some major injuries already, it's something to shrug off. Obviously, the the team is talented. The new coaches who have come in seem to have made an impact, but you know, the 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 core guys that have kind of really solidified the identity of this team are still here, and all of those guys have been a part of you know just minimal success against the Pittsburgh Steelers, specifically in Paul Brown Stadium. Like in the Andy Dalton era, there's only been one win at home. You know, against the Steelers. So I, I get it that like it was, 
it wasn't a, it wasn't like an awful loss. They didn't get blown out. They obviously lost in the last seconds. But the NFL doesn't keep tally of, of close losses or, or good losses. They just keep tallies of losses. And like at some point, they have to find a way to beat them because it's a, it's such a pivotal game, not only for the reputation of the team, but also for like the divisional race in itself. Like a, a, any division loss is, is not going to be optimal, especially when it's a team like Pittsburgh who competes year year in and year out. And there was just a lot. It, there was just a lot of things in the game that people have pointed to as like the reason why like they lost, you know, they, they pointed to some missed calls or some bad or like a bad call. And then a missed call in the final drive of final Steelers offensive drive. And then obviously there was the platitude of injuries on the defensive side of the ball that obviously had some, some impact to it. But when you really boil down to it, and I guess we'll go over this in a second, the Bengals just beat themselves kind of like they always do against the Steelers. They just can't, there's just a mental hurdle that they just can't seem to jump high enough. And it, and, and like, like you said, it was just Sunday was just another way of telling us that they haven't eclipsed that hurdle. Like it, it, whether it's, you know, dumb penalties at the end of the game or just, you know, failing to execute or put your, put your best players in the, in the position to succeed. And that's kind of what, what we saw on Sunday. And until that, until those things kind of get better, it's just what we can expect with Marvin Lewis still coaching here when the Steelers come to town. Unfortunate truth being spoken by my co-host there uh, in a lot of different respects. I do I do want to say, and again, yeah, like you said, there's not a column in the standings for moral victories, for almost wins, or anything like that. I do want to say that this was a much more enjoyable game for sure. than, than many uh, to watch from a Bengals standpoint than many others that we've seen, um, primarily because of the quarterback play. I have to say Andy Dalton, in not great weather, with not great protection, missing a lot of weapons, turnoverless ball game, had the go-ahead touchdown pass at the end of the game, let another masterful two-minute drive. I was very impressed with how he played. Yes, there were some dry spells that happened in, primarily in the third quarter, um, but I, I, I really thought that Andy Dalton played very well. Your thoughts quickly on him before we segue into something else you were talking about. And the leader into week six of quarterback drop percentage was Baker Mayfield, about 10%. I think Andy Dolan had a drop percentage of about 9%. He dealt with four drops, I think, on 42 attempts. Like three of them or two of them came within the first two drives, and that really kind of impacted his box score in the first quarter. But besides, like he finished the first half, I think, 60% completion percentage, that touchdown over 100 yards, dealing with the rain and the drops from AJ Green and Cody Core. It was very impressive to see to see him play well against an opponent that he doesn't normally do well against. And that was the reason why they were in the game for as long as they were. The defense had had struggles, but they kept them in the game long enough. And it was just it was just weird mistakes down the stretch from I don't know if it was the play calling or if it was just some some miscommunication with the scheme or whatever. But you know the, the they're they are competitive when Dalton can play up to the level of the opposite quarterback. And you know for for so many years obviously Ben Roethlisberger has been the superior quarterback in this matchup. So when Dolan, you know, finally played at a competent level that matched Ben, the game was close throughout and they at least had a chance to win. And they almost did win because of Andy Dolan's clutch heroics again on another fourth quarter comeback drive. 
Yep, and he hit a number of different receivers. Uh, wasn't just AJ Green, AJ Green, AJ Green. He hit Tyler Boyd, obviously for the go-ahead touchdown. Uh, AJ Green did have, uh, I believe, a catch or two on that drive. CJ Uzama had another. Uh, CJ Uzama stepping up nicely, which, yes. which is good to see. Um, and and I think we we all knew that his athleticism and his size, he had that in him. It's more of a growth opportunity type of thing. So it's good to see him growing into a role where the Bengals need a weapon. Tyler Croft out, Tyler Eifert out, CJ Uzoma. Please stay healthy, sir, mm-hmm. um, because that is uh, – he's playing well. He's had some in- injury issues in the past, and the Bengals are really thin at that position at the moment. Speaking of injuries, this is kind of where a major point of debate comes in, John, for this game. Yeah, it was very close. Some people believe that the Steelers aren't the same team that they've been this year and in years past. Obviously, the Bengals are far improved from the past two years. The Bengals still lose this game at home. And with it come the call, you know, the, the non-call at the end of the game, uh, the, the offensive pass interference that should have been called. A number of different outlets have, have said that. There's other, you know, a lot of, lot of Bengals fans are talking about holding calls by the offensive line that weren't called on Bengals defensive linemen. Um, th- there are those issues. We've seen calls go the Steelers' way in the past. There's also the myriad of injuries. Cincinnati went into this game without John Ross, without Billy Price, without Tyler Eifert, without Tyler Croft, without Giovanni Bernard. Um, guys on defense left the game regularly, um, and some for the rest of the game. How? But I, I look at it as, you know, yeah, you've lost a lot of starters. You've lost a lot of, you've lost a lot of guys you rotate in heavily. But your defensive line, you still had all your starters, and you've got a borderline, if not a true Hall of Fame player in Geno Atkins, who was a ghost. Mm-hmm. You had Carlos Dunlap, who was a ghost, a three-time Pro Bowl player. You had Vontez Perfect. Yes, he's working his way into game shape. Yeah, he made a couple of nice plays, but I saw him get punked around quite a bit by James Conner, Vance McDonald, and others. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the defense failed to secure a turnover again. I'm rambling here on this question, but I- I'm laying it out for you because you have to weigh, you know, a lot of fans say we got we got ripped off, right? A lot of fan- fans are saying the Bengals got ripped off because of that OPI call and all that. I don't I don't dismiss that. I don't doubt that. But you have to look at other things that trans- transpired in the game, um, injuries being one. But the lack of defensive plays, and then, like you mentioned, the drops by Cody Core, other issues. I mean, how much of this loss is on? Hey, maybe this, maybe the Bengals aren't as good as we thought at that four and one mark going into this game. And how much of it is refs, injuries, and kind of those built-in excuses? Yeah. Um... Those excuses, I think, have weight when if if the Bengals are like fifteen and two against the Steelers at home instead of two and fifteen, they found ten thousand ways to lose. So, you know, common, you know, excuses like injuries and 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 refs that, that at the at the start they don't have much weight in my opinion. And then then you have to look at this: like, when do the Bengals ever get calls against the Steelers? That never happens. That you can't go into a game into this game specifically if you're a Bengals fan with that mindset. Expecting that the refs are going to call, you know, evenly for both ways, and for the most part they did because the Steelers didn't get a t- didn't get a James Conner touchdown when they should have. That that took off four points off the board. 
There was another call I think earlier in, where the the the, the, uh, the Juju Smith Schuster touchdown was was pretty close. There there was a lot of back and forth calls back and forth, and I don't think if you're a Bengals fan, you can expect to get even calls if that's the narrative that's that's growing from that. And it's just easy, you know, when you constantly lose to a team to find, you know, secondary excuses like injuries and like and like refs that are the main causes of the game. But you can also just look at what went, what went wrong for your team. And in my opinion, it was two main things. It was the way that they had addressed the rushing game and the relationship between the pass rush and the secondary for the Bengals. And starting with the rushing game, Joe Mixon had five rushes with Andy Dahl in their center. Only one of them was deemed successful. He had six rushes and shotgun and five of them were successful. He was way more way more um, proficient in getting a lot more yards running out of the shotgun than he was at a center. And I don't know if he, they were trying to establish like play action by having mixing run out of center, but I do know that the three sacks of the Bengals offensive line allowed came off of play action. So it was a systematic failure in terms of attacking the Steelers defense with the run game that only ended up having 11 rushes. And they averaged six and a half yards, but most of those, a good portion of those carries were with under center and they gained, you know, zero, like just, they didn't deem successful plays. So that was, in my opinion, the problem on the offense because they tried to force the passing game a lot. And for the most part, it was successful, but they didn't have a proper complimentary rushing attack against a defense that, you know, obviously knows them and knows their strengths. And you mentioned the lack of pass rush. And I do agree that Gino and Dunlap could have done a lot more, but I also think that com- compounded with the injuries in the secondary, the, the Bengals back seven just could not could not not allow easy separation from their tight ends and from Juju Smith-Schuster. It was just a constant issue all game, and that's why Ben was getting the ball out of the pocket so quickly, completely negating the pass rush in the first place. And the Steelers, you know, even with a new offensive coordinator, they do a great job of designing you know schemes and, and route combinations that create space for the primary options. And what I saw from the defense was just a group of linebackers that I've never seen look more lost in coverage, specifically yeah. with Burfecht, Preston Brown. Vincey Ray tries, but he's just not that athlete to do it anymore. And even, and even with Burfecht, who many fans would claim is a good coverage linebacker, he, he doesn't look comfortable in space out there, handling those crossing routes, getting guys into the zone. Vance McDonald had a field day because Burfecht was constantly out of position in coverage. And that was a, just a main problem. And I don't even blame the defense that much because they only gave up 20 points and 58 minutes of football against a competent Steelers offense. That should have been enough for the offense to win the game. But like I said, you know, that, that lack of efficient rushing attack, you know, putting your best running back in the best position to succeed, they, they just couldn't do that. And I think those two issues were, in my opinion, just the main reasons why they, sh- they didn't put up more points than they should have. They, that game should not have come down to the last drive, and they, they should have had more than 21 points at the end of the game. I get the injuries. I get the refs, but sometimes you just got to look in the mirror and say, what could we, what could we have done better? And I think it was those two things. Yeah. And for Mixon, he was absolutely gashing the Steelers defense on delays on draws Mm -hmm. out of those shotgun formations. I mean, it was almost like, God, like 10, 15 yards of carry uh, sometimes. And then, you know, there were other times, especially early in the game, where it wasn't working very well. And then the Bengals kind of abandoned things in the third quarter uh, on the ground, which, you know, was not good. And obviously Mark Walton was was ineffective. Um, definition of irony, you, you talk about how the Bengals should have scored more than 21 points in the game. In the Marvin Lewis era, if I'm if I remember correctly, based on I think some something that our good friend James Rapine threw out there, the Bengals had never scored more than 20 points against the Steelers in the Marvin Lewis era 
They score 21 to go up in less than a minute and a half, and they still lose. So, it's not the 90s anymore. Teams just average like, high 20 yeah. points a game. You can't win games like this. Yeah, and I think I think your point about Mixon is is really evident in that first drive of the of the second half. And and there's a lot. Number one, Erickson gets a 50 yard, 51 yard kickoff return, which is awesome. Uh, sets the Bengals up very well. The Bengals are then in a uh, third and one, third and two, I believe. Um, they don't get it. And they're in Steelers territory, bad weather. I get it. I, I get where you could say, hey, we're at home. You know, we punt. But I, I just – I feel like the crossing routes and, and out routes to Boyd, the short ones, worked all day. I think you got A.J. Green out there. Mixing can do a number of different things. And I think that if you can't get – a yard and a half, two yards on your home turf. Maybe you don't deserve to win, but I think yep. that, that that is a spot. I think that is a spot that many fans question why Marvin Lewis did not go for it. And I think also the big thing, this, the Bengals had big, big, big momentum going in and out of halftime because of that last, last second touchdown mm-hmm. pass they scored right before the half. So your thoughts and your analysis of that drive and, and other situations in the game where you maybe thought, Marvin, grow pair, let's 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 do this and uh, you know, kind of impose the will, even if it leads to a field goal or two field goals, you get some points, you're in a different situation at the end of the game. It, it, it's cowardice, and I'm glad I'm glad you brought it up because I probably should have mentioned it with, with, with my first point. But yeah, that's another gigantic reason why they lost because they just ex- they accepted defeat, and the, the, I can't I I can't you know beat around the bush with that point. If you punt from w- w- within your own 50 yard line three times during the game, and one of those punts was I think only 28 yards, and they give up a yeah. field goal on the defensive drive anyways, that's accepting defeat. You're you're you're, you're playing not to lose. I at home I don't, I don't I don't understand. It's 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 a mentality. It's it it's mental it's mental shrinkness. I that's not even a word. I'm totally flabbergasted because it's just a constant issue under Marvin Lewis, and it's just it's not going to get better until it does. And he's shown no signs of ever doing anything better. And it's always against the Steelers. It's always this shrinking in big moments and just not you know the the antithesis of a Sean McVay basically, who two weeks ago was playing at 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 Century League Stadium in Seattle. He had a fourth and one situation at his own at, his, at the Seahawks 40 and he went for it and he got it. And they and they ended up winning the game because after the game he said, We don't fear failure. I can't say the same thing about Marvin Lewis, especially when he plays the Steelers, a team that he just can't beat with sixty-five thousand fans supporting him right then and there. I I don't I'll never understand it, but I will always expect it at this point because it's just it's just not going to change until it does. Well, John, you're you're the king of the segue, and we're gonna we're gonna get to another question about this Steelers game and and this quote unquote rivalry in just a second. Uh, this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza, and we're breaking down the Bengals' heartbreaking loss, 28-21 against the Steelers. Uh, hard fought game, but uh, Bengals still managed to come up short for a variety of different reasons. We're going to open up the phone lines in just a few minutes here and the text line. If you want to get in touch with us, 949-542-6241, 949-542-6241. So so get those in. We've already got uh, Twitter questions coming our way. 
and we'll get to those. We're going to do middle of the show calls, texts, and stuff. We want to make this uh, a bit more of a soundboard episode for for the listeners this week because it you know Steelers game you know it's a, it's, it's a big deal and there's a lot to be frustrated about. There's a lot to be happy about as well. So, John, as I mentioned. You had a nice segue here into our next point, which is what is it going to take for this for this rivalry to balance out? And, I mean, if Marvin was, I don't know, 6-12 and 12 at home or 8-10, you know, under if, if he was slightly under 500 in this and you, and you say, hey, you know, P- Pittsburgh's just been a better team, you know, I, I just, for the life of me, I don't understand why this team is so difficult for the Bengals to beat. And, I, and I'm, I'm going to come up with a couple of different thoughts or scenarios and you tell me your thoughts on them because I wrote a, an article on Cincy Jungle kind of explaining some of the things about the problems with, with this rivalry and what the Bengals need to do to maybe start addressing some of these things. But, I, I mean, you go up with under a minute and a half and you lose, right? You think you have the wild card game sealed up a couple of years ago. All Jeremy has Jeremy Hill has to do is fall down and hang on to the ball. He doesn't have to gain yards. He can lose yards. Mm-hmm. Just hang on to the football chew clock, try a field goal, you win. That doesn't work. And then you implode on the on the ensuing defensive possession. You go back to, oh, my God, 2006, at the end of that season, the Bengals needed to win one game. They lost like four, three or four in a row, the last one, of course, being against Pittsburgh. They get knocked out of the playoffs. 05, the Palmer thing. Some of it has to do with the bad luck and the injuries. And, you know, some people will say, of course, so the Steelers are cheap shots and that's the injuries. And uh, Sure. I've been there myself, to be quite honest with you. But, I mean, at some point, what is it going to take for this team? I mean, I I did some historical research for this post. I looked back to from 1980 to 1990, which was kind of the Bengals' heyday, right? They went to two Super Bowls, Boomer. They had both Ken Anderson and Boomer. Um, They were a very successful team in that stretch. In that stretch, basically – Steelers had, you know, kind of a, uh, an iffy quarterback situation with a guy named Mark Malone and then late 80s Bubby Brister, if you remember those names. Somehow the Steelers still won- made the playoffs four times in that span and actually made an AFC championship game in that span. But Cincinnati largely dominated the division, largely dominated the series, and they, they, had, they went 15-6 and six in that span. I counted the games. So is it basically going to take Pittsburgh to have Ben Roethlisberger retire, Mike Tomlin be out the door, and you know, finally Cincinnati's like, well, they're good, their their best players, their Hall of Fame players are gone. Maybe now we have a chance. Is it the coach? Is it like you mentioned, certain personnel in this defense? Is it a combination? I I, I mean, th- this is honestly ridiculous. No, it is, and I'll I'll say something that not a lot of fans would agree with, but I guess I'll say that for the end. Um, it, it 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 takes a culture change, you know, and it's one of the reasons why a lot of us wanted Marvin out the door because they play the Steelers twice, and we can guarantee that they're going to lose one every single year, and that's just that can't be acceptable from a professional football team standards. It's just 
with him always here, there's always the shadow of a doubt that he is going to lead a team that shrinks when it matters the most against the team that they care about so much to beat. But I don't even know if I can say that. Do, do they really care about beating them or do they really care about not losing to them? It's almost like just in this rivalry, and specifically from the past four years, it just feels like hate has consumed them. And that's why they let perfect out on, on free leash to do whatever he wants, even if he's not exactly good. And he wasn't really good against the Steelers this past Sunday. There's no control with him. And there's just no, there's no progress being gained from Lewis and just learning from his mistakes against them. And he seems to make a new one every single time they play them. So it, it, it just takes, you know, a different approach on this. And the best way I can think of that is just getting someone from outside of the organization who isn't is just unfamiliar with what what goes on here and I'm not and obviously I'm talking about not promoting from within if there ever is a new head coach because Marvin will be here for as long as he wants to be and if he continues to try to beat the Steelers up into his 80s then he's going to continue trying to beat the Steelers <laughs> up into his 80s yeah. and will be 0 and 24 by the time that happens because he just can't learn from his own mistakes because it just take I just think it takes somebody with a different approach to try to do that and I also think that you know like the, the there was an article on the Pittsburgh Post Gazette about that said that Ben Roethlisberger cares about this game a lot, not only because of the connection that he has with Ohio, but also beating Vance is perfect, and because of now the the inner rivalry between Perfect and some of the Steelers players because of the recent events that happened there. If if Perfect doesn't do enough good things on the football field, like we saw on Sunday. What is the value of him in this rivalry? He only he only gives the Steelers more inner motivation to beat them. And obviously, Perfect fueled the fire with, you know, threatening Juju and pointing at him and uh, the, the hit on Antonio Brown that he could get punished for. The, the value with Perfect at this point is just, it's so hard to justify. And I think that he, along with Lewis, are just both two kegs or pegs of the problem here. And if they go away, I, 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 could, I could be confident that they could eventually move forward and gain some progress in this matchup because the Steelers have a formula that works and it's just basically let the Bengals implode on themselves because they, they just it, – it's so so sad because it's just so obvious how much the Bengals hate them and it's unfortunate that they can't get out of their own way to do something about it. And I think it's just a product of having familiar faces here that just haven't learned from their own mistakes. I, I mean, we can sit here and have a whole episode on Valtez Perfect, especially after this week. And I, I, I'm, I'm thinking and hoping and I'm sure that uh, just a few minutes here when we start getting to some of these listener questions will be some of them will be about Perfect, his value and all of that. But I, I do want to add him in just kind of a different way and ask you about this. You're you're a guy who watches a lot of film and, and does a awesome job of breaking down a lot of stuff. And for those of you who do not follow John on Twitter and or have read some of his film breakdown throughout Cincy Jungle, I urge you to do that. Uh, very good stuff. Um, definitely not one of my strengths. So um, I, I am jealous and envious of you that, that uh, you are quite good at that. But um, here's my thing. Okay. You talked about the coaching and all that kind of stuff and, um, you know, the Bengals shooting themselves in the foot. Yes, that's happened. But the Bengals have an employ kind of a passe by NFL standards. 4-3. Yeah, they, they, their base is usually nickel. 
but a 4-3 front defensive scheme. They, they don't really change much up there. The Steelers have a different varying look on defense. You know, they've got their three big guys on the defensive line, and they blitz a lot of different guys, Dupree and Wad, and, you know, they do a lot of different things up front. That's what the Patriots do as well on defense. There's been a big, in my opinion, and I don't have the stats in front of me, but it just seems in looking at these games, there's been a big disparity in terms of game, how, how those two matchups work out for each team. It seems as if the Cincinnati Bengals, and I'm even going back when the Bengals still had Whitworth and Zeitler, okay? The Bengals had matchup problems still with those speed guys off the edge, mm-hmm. multiple guys coming at them, getting the right assignments. There was a, There's always been pressure on their quarterbacks. It's not just Andy Dalton. It's, it was Carson Palmer. I, I, saw, I saw it. Trust me. Now, there are other times where, you know, the big guys for the Bengals, Dunlap, Atkins, they, they've hit Ben regularly and all that kind of stuff. They've got pressure on him. But other times Ben does Ben things, runs around and plays backyard football and throws up a prayer and somehow it's a 30-yard game. Um, but there is a major – disparity there that Cincinnati has not been able to work out. And even with these guys that are Pro Bowl guys up front, I mean, it's just the the consistency in those areas, even when they've had some of their strongest players, it it hasn't worked. And, And yet somehow for the Steelers, it has worked. And it it also goes back to the run game, right? The Steelers, whether it's I, – I, I look back, Willie Parker had 100-yard days against the Bengals. Jerome Bettis had 100-yard days against the Bettis, uh, against the Bengals. Um, you know, Le'Veon Bell obviously had uh, – and then this week, James Conner. I mean, it doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. So is that an indictment of Lewis? Is that an indictment of a scheme? Because I find it hard to believe that a guy who cut his teeth for 20 over a decade and a half in the in this division and built his reputation on a record-setting defense with amazing linebackers a 3-4 defense with a lot of blitzers I, I i don't know why that hasn't carried over and he has these standard run stuffing type of guys like perfect and there's not a lot of diversity showing on the on the defensive side of the ball at times yeah, and that, that makes, a, does that make sense when I'm when I'm getting that, out? Yeah, and that, that's a valid point. And I guess to your point about the about the Steelers' run game, they've always been very power oriented with a lot of guards pulling across the line of scrimmage, and that's that's why DeCastro has been so successful there because he's like the best in the NFL at doing so. And that's why, like, even if like retired Cedric Benson was behind that Steelers' offensive line, I would still would have expected him to run for hundred <laughs> yards. Because, yeah, like there's like names of like Jonathan Dwyer, Rashard Mendenhall. They all had yep. successful games against the Bengals. You know, no matter what defense was here, no matter if Zimmer was here, you know the the good days of of Paul Gunther, even with Terrell Austin, they they, they just seem to have a lot of guys who are gap discipline, but can make impact plays in those gaps, and they're mm-hmm. routinely. One of the one of the worst teams at getting tackles for loss because, like with, with Gino, he gets a lot of sacks, but he doesn't make a lot of splash plays in the run. You know, Dunlap has a little bit more than him because he plays on the edge, and it's a little bit easier. But, but besides those two, they don't have a lot of guys that can you know shed blocks quickly and you know fill those gaps quickly. And as a result, there's a lot of you know 
a lot of two to four yard carries for the Steelers and just any other opponent, but there's not a lot of negative plays. And that basically allows them to just pound the ball consistently because they know they're going to get a guaranteed two to five yards every play. And that's why the yards per carry is not astronomical, but they end up with like 110, 130 yards a game every single time. So that, I think that's definitely something that always needed to change. And I don't know if it's a scheme thing or just a personnel thing, but it's always been a constant with Lewis. And just with, yeah, with that Steelers defensive front, like w w when, when they had a competent secondary and besides Joe Hayden, they don't really have that now. Like they could just drop back seven, eight guys in coverage, blitz three or just rush three or four. And, you know, if Dalton's first read when he was, you know, younger, if it wasn't open, then he kind of, got skittish against a three-man rush and ended up, you know, this fever everywhere and guys weren't getting open downfield. And that's kind of the crux of a lot of those bad Dalton games. But, you know, now that the Steelers don't have that great secondary, they have, they had to do more as a pass rushing unit. They had to send five to six guys to get Dalton to get the ball out quicker. And that's why he only had to think like 5.6 yards per attempt in this game, despite, you know, the, the, um, the, the, the high quarterback rating, the two to zero touch interception ratio. So, there was adjustments that the Steelers made on, on, on the defense side of the ball because of their lack of personnel. And it's just something that we can't say about the Bengals because even with, you know, plethora of injuries that happened in the back seven linebackers that continued to not be effective in zone coverage over the middle and a pass rush that just couldn't get there in time. It was just, you know, just kind of sticking to their guns and they kind of ended up get, getting broken on, on that final drive. Yeah, I, I stuck to my guns. It's probably going to be on Marvin Lewis's headstone. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just like, oh, my God. Uh, I, I'm glad you brought up Hayden. I thought that even though it wasn't the prettiest of performances by a lot of high-profile cornerbacks on the field, I thought he played admirably at times against A.J. Green, which if you know anything about that rivalry. Just you know, in that first drive, too. I think he forced – it was like three incompletions that were targeted towards Hayden. It was, it was impressive. Yep, Hayden played well, and you know what? William Jackson and Dre Kirkpatrick, they both battled injuries, and I thought they both – Kirkpatrick had some struggles, um, but I also saw him knock away quite a few passes, and he was – I, I just thought it was a – and you can sit there and you can knock Dre Kirkpatrick, which is easy to do. You can knock William Jackson for not maybe playing as at high of a level as last year, but – when you're going up against Juju Smith-Schuster and Antonio Brown, it's never an easy task. Mm -hmm. The touchdown and the big play that Antonio Brown had, we mentioned the offensive pass interference thing. Um, so that kind of takes those guys out of the equation. I, I just thought just in general, those three guys gutted out a a, a really – it wasn't pretty. Oh, yeah. At every time, but I thought all three of them gutted out uh, on both sides of the fence. I thought no. they all gutted out a really, really, really solid performance. I thought the game that Kirkpatrick had was like perfect for him because he had like two or three great plays down the field guarding Smith-Schuster and Brown. And then he missed gigantically on a press on Brown and ended up <laughs> having like a 48-yard yeah. like the perfect. It was the perfect Kirkpatrick performance. And that's basically what we can expect. Yeah. And then there was, you know, again, if you want to point out some things that the officials did, that there was kind of an, an iffy um, – yeah, at the end of the game on the last drive, which, I mean, you've seen it called and you've seen less egregious or, you know, you've seen you, – it, it's another one of those issues. Let's get to a couple of these uh, YouTube comments here. Uh, we're going to get to 
some calls and texts, you can get in touch with us, 949-542-6241. Uh, we're going to open that up for you. So 949-542-6241. want to start with Carl Benson because he was up top here in the live YouTube chat and just something just that's funny for you, uh, John. He said, um, uh, gosh, what did he say? It was He had... Uh, I had many days studying in that library, John. So he uh, he knows. Oh, it's old. Yeah, yeah. yeah he knows the he knows the plight uh, of of studying in the University of Cincinnati um, uh, library. There. Uh, let's see here. Uh, we'll just real quick. Antonio DeSandro, first time tuning into this live podcast. I'm digging it. Who day? That's awesome. Thanks. Um, there's a lot of also talk of uh, Bill Williams has, has some good points. Some others talk about like, you know, Marvin isn't the only guy who's, who struggled against the Steelers, Mike Brown all time versus the Steelers, 14 wins, 41 losses. Um, I think someone else said something about the 1990s. I mean, obviously that was, uh, but the, the, the entire point, and I think, I think this is kind of something that we can start to sort of wrap a bow on this here. The entire point of the frustration with this, again, it's it's the rivalry, it's all that kind of stuff. But in a year where the Bengals seem to have taken a lot of steps, right? They beat a, a pretty good – they're 4-2. They got the same record as the Bengals. They beat a pretty good Ravens team on prime time, right? They beat a Dolphins team who was also 4-2. Decent win. Um they've come from behind it the point is there's yes it part of it is just the desire and to win this game because of the hatred for the Steelers but as you pointed out John this is this is the route you need to take to not only get to the playoffs to get a division crown but to get through the, the playoffs because mm-hmm. these are the teams that are there the Patriots the Steelers yeah, sometimes the Ravens, the Chiefs coming up. I mean, these are the teams that the Bengals will have to face and beat in order to get that ever-elusive playoff win. And I think that's why people, yeah, it's week six, and you can kind of say, dude, you know, the more important one could be week 17. And very mm-hmm. very well could be the truth. But still, these are the types of games that you need to – you need to win. These are the types of games you need to get into the playoffs, get home field advantage, all that kind of stuff. And like you said, they they just they can't seem to do it. Yeah, and that's that's exactly right. They could they could win twelve games this year, but those four losses could be th- this one next week on Sunday Night Football. Maybe like one against like the Ravens or another good team, and then one more against the Steelers. So they have twelve wins. They might even have a bye. But even with those their true test during the year, what if, if they all fail, how much confidence can you really have in this group of players and coaches that they're going to be able to get it done when it matters the most? And it, 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 to me, it's just like, it, 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 it's like two freshmen uh, in high school. Like one, one guy just pounds on the other, like in the hallway, the other dude who gets pounded, like goes into the gym for like three years. They both meet up in senior year and like the, the the little guy is like benching like 300 pounds, you know, he's, he's, he's like practicing boxing. He's like ready to do anything. And he's like beating up the whole, the rest of the school. And at this point, 
and he finally meets up that bully from freshman year, and he still gets knocked on his ass like after one punch. It's basically it's basically the relationship. Like they can do anything else, they can play well against any other team, but this is the one team that kind of matters for their psyche, and they just can't seem to do it, and it's just unfortunate. Yeah, and like I said, Marvin Lewis has, has been in this division for a long time. He's coached in this in this realm for a long time, and for some reason. He can, he's found a way to beat Baltimore pretty consistently. He's found a way to beat Cleveland pretty consistently. And now he's 8-25 and 25 against the Steelers. 2-16 and 16 at home. Pitiful. I mean, yeah. that's pitiful. Um, we'll see what happens in Week 17. Like I said, that could be a, a an incredibly large game for both playoff appearances – winning the division, home field advantage. I mean, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves because the Bengals, you know, they still have a lot to show us. But a 4-2 and two start, you know, and this this roster is is a solid one. There, Some places are very banged up. Some places are really starting, you know, they'll start to get healthy as the year goes on. But we'll see. One side note, John, and I wanted to ask you about this. Um. I've seen a lot of up and down play from from Trey Hopkins. Some up in the weeks going up to this this game against the Steelers. Quite a bit of down against the Steelers. Mm-hmm. Um, Billy Price still we don't know when he's coming back. He did get the boot, excuse me, boot off this week. Um, you know he he might not play for the Chiefs this Sunday, but. What what's the plan? I mean, Alex Redman leads. I think he leads all guards with pressures given up. He's got to be up there and holding penalties because it seems to be that's that's a that's a you know a weekly given. Mm-hmm. Um, is is there? Do you think the Bengals are sitting here saying you know maybe we should go Hopkins at right guard again, Price at center when we come back, or will they just kind of say we got to get we got to keep it what it was and leave it as it is? Is there even a big in, increase in productivity with Hopkins at guard, or even maybe Price at guard? Yeah, um, but you know, however that may work. I I thought I was after the, the Panthers game when Hopkins had a game and a half under his belt. I was pretty set on the best point of action would be having Price go to guard, a position that you know a lot of Ohio State fans will also attest to this that he was better at than he was at center. He was obviously mostly a center prospect when he entered the, the draft and many people scouted him as a center. And if he went out as a guard, I think he would have been a slightly more highly regarded prospect because I think his tape was, was better at guard. And some of his issues, you know, early on in, in the preseason and the game and a half were, were, were primarily issues with, you know, getting out of stance after snapping the ball. And I think that moving him to guard would, Mitigation of issues, but regardless, I think all that's pretty moot. I think Hopkins is going back to the bench because he is that backup, that primary backup center and basically backup interior lineman. I think Price will retake his spot center because you know they kind of made their bed with that. They said they only are looking at him, looking at him at center, and I guess they didn't quite expect Redmond to be this bad in pass protection. But they'll also look at the good plays that he's made in the run game, and there yeah. and there are some. Like yeah. I, I do think he he has value there. But I think in you know in 2018, it's more valuable to have competent five competent pass protectors than five competent run blockers because you can scheme you can scheme around the run game and with the run game you know nine ways to Sunday, but you got to be able to pass protect. And I think that 
Price gives them the best option at center for that. Even though Hopkins showed signs, he uh, he was really inconsistent against the Dolphins and Steelers. Um, but there's, there's obviously the West, the, the Westerman um, option, but that's also even less likely. I just think that Redmond is going to keep the spot once Price comes back. And yeah, as much as I would like to see Price step in a right guard, I just don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. We're getting a call on the on the OBI line here, John. So hang on one second. Uh, we'll get to that. But uh, good point on the offensive line. Hi, this is the Orange and Black Insider. Who's this? Hey, John from Kentucky. How you doing, Anthony? And uh, John, how uh, we're hanging in there, my friend. How you doing? Oh <laughs> uh, well, I'm just ascending, and I'm kind of hanging in there. Hey. Uh, Anthony, you know the difference between a risk and a gamble. A gamble, if you're fourth and 28 on your own eight-yard line against Pittsburgh, eh, you might want to punt it. That's a gamble. But if you're on the Pittsburgh 40-yard line and it's starting the second half, that's a risk. And that's a risk you have to take. And I know you guys were talking about that earlier. And that's why we are so frustrated with this head coach. Because if you're not going to take risks against these kinds of teams, you don't win in the playoffs, you don't beat Pittsburgh, you most certainly don't go to Super Bowls. So that's my rant and frustration for the moment. Well, it's a it's a valid one, John, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna uh, we're gonna we're getting a lot of calls here, so we're gonna we're gonna get off get you off the air in just a second here, but. Um, I, I do. I, I think it's a valid one. I think, as we mentioned, uh, Marvin Lewis has in that game had opportunities to go for it, and you know I can understand later in the game maybe things are pretty tight, and you know you kind of say, hey, let's let's kind of punt the ball, let's play field position. It's raining, you know, we are at home, all that kind of thing. My thing is, I'm a big momentum guy, and uh, as we mentioned. Here, you know, some people believe don't believe in the in momentum being an actual thing in sports. I, I personally, I think it's a gigantic thing. I think it builds confidence. I think all of that, and I think that Marvin Lewis, you know, you get a fifty-yard kick return to start the second half after you march down the field and scored a touchdown before the half, and then you sit on the ball and punt it. On a on a third and short, I think that deflates your football team. I, I really do, and uh, I, I think you, you lose the momentum that you gathered before before the the halftime gun. Absolutely. And, and I, I think and that's. Marvin Lewis said he said, "Well, I didn't want to give the ball back to Pittsburgh right there." Well, he did give the ball back to Pittsburgh yep. right there. Yep. Yeah, he punted it. Punts or turnovers. Punts or turnovers. You tell me with the talent you had, you don't have enough confidence to get one yard on the other team's 40-yard line to start the second half. I mean, the average owner in the NFL, you better believe he's having words with that coach on Monday morning. But evidently, the one we have, he's evidently satisfied with all this. Well, we're gonna we're gonna keep. Oh, go ahead. No, no. I, I appreciate it, John. We're gonna we're gonna finish this question off the air. Appreciate you calling in. Great to hear from you as always. Uh, there's more, definitely more to talk about here. But uh, hopefully, you enjoy the Sunday night football game. We'll be talking about the Chiefs in just a little bit here. So definitely stay tuned for that. Appreciate the call, sir. Um, I, you know, John, um, John 
on OBI, not John from Kentucky. Um, he, he makes he makes a great point in that you know I, I, the Bengals may have deflated Marvin Lewis may have deflated his team by going that. And you mentioned punts are kind of a form of turning it over. Yeah, punts are basically forty yard interceptions. Field goals are turnovers with a participation point. Touchdowns are the only thing that matters. Like turnovers, they, they, they say they're only fumbles and interceptions. Punts are also part, part, of, part of turnovers. And mind you, it was a 28-yard punt. So it, it's like like the in an era where analytics is king, the expected risk of just going for it on a fourth and one, it's so monumentally lower than just giving the ball back 20, 28 yards down the field. So that, that that line of thinking is just so outdated, and I think that perfectly encapsulates who Marvin Lewis is as a coach. Yeah, and, and what it, totally. And what what I wanted to get to was, you know, you spend a second round pick on your quarterback, you spend a first round pick on a center, you spend a first a top top five pick on a wide receiver, a second round pick on another wide receiver, another, uh, multiple second round picks on running backs. Granted, not everybody's on the field at this point, but you have invested a lot of draft capital at skill positions for these type of situations, and you, you punt. I, yeah. I just I don't get that. We've got another call here, John. I believe it's from good friend Andrew Seiler. Andrew, how are you, sir? Uh, good. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're 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 reeling from the loss, but we're doing all right. Game, man. I was 114, section 114. Oh, wow. I almost was in tears. <laughs> Wait, what? I mean, good Lord. But I don't really have a question. I just wanted to say I love you guys. I love this show, and I love the Cincinnati Bengals and wanted to be positive. I, will, I really think, man, Dalton's going to be the MVP of this game on Sunday. Four touchdowns and 400 yards. I'm calling it right now. Okay. Well, that – that was actually where I was going with the next question. First of all, we love you back, buddy. Appreciate it. That's that's very flattering to, to hear that. But um, I will say this, uh, and I guess because you have, um, because you've you've given us a little bit of an Andy Dalton impression. I'll get I'll get to your score impression, score prediction in just a second. But just to harp on your point a little bit about Andy Dalton. I did some math. He's basically at the, he's got 14 touchdowns through six games so far this uh, this year. It puts him on pace for 37 touchdown passes this season. Who knows if he'll keep that up? But that yeah. will break his own franchise record for season uh, single season passing touchdowns. And um, you know, I mean, that says a lot. He also he also surpassed Boomer Esiason this last Sunday for. Um, uh, you know, passing yards as a, as a career passing yards as a Bengal. So quickly, Andrew, we've got some other calls, but before we do, your your prediction for Sunday. Prediction for Sunday? Yes. Uh, 35, or actually, no, 34, lucky number. 34, 21. I'm going for it, man. I think William Jackson and Dre stand up. Hopefully, Sean Williams can play. Jesse Bates. I mean, I think we'll all be all right. Cool. But do not play Cody Core. Get him off the <laughs> yeah well thanks andrew we'll, we'll we'll get you off the air here but appreciate you calling in appreciate the compliments right. and uh you know hopefully the next game you go to will be will be have a little bit better results oh yeah i'm hoping thanks buddy 
Uh, we've missed we missed a couple of calls. I apologize uh, if if I missed your call there. Call back. We'll get to you. Like I said, we want to make this pretty listener heavy. We do have one going on. Any additional thoughts about Andy Dalton, John? With uh, what Andrews had to say there? Yeah, four hundred yards and four touchdowns is enough to get past Mahomes. I'll take it. But I do think that's probably what Mahomes is going to get as well. It's just two of the worst defenses in the NFL. And on a Sunday night stage, if he does that, then I think he'll answer or at least snuff out a lot of narratives because this is going to be a shootout and it might have a lot of long drives, but in the end it's going to be probably around 700 total yards of offense between two teams. So that's going to be the performance that Dahl really needs. Yeah. Unfortunately I couldn't watch the, the Patriots chiefs game. And I, I, you know, luckily I was doing something kind of unique and fun myself uh, Sunday night, but um it was it was it, that score. We kind of my, my brother and I were together, and my you know we kind of kept our eye on the score. We're going, oh my god, this is crazy. Um, you know, this is uh, obviously this this could this has all the makings of a shootout going forward. The Bengals' deep passing defense is one of the worst in the league, and the Chiefs' defense, I believe, is the worst in the league. So uh, that you know that's and Andy Dalton's having a good year. Patrick Mahomes is having an outstanding year. So a lot to talk about there. We're going to get to that in just a second. We've got another call on the OBI line from our good friend Terrell. Terrell, how are you, sir? How you doing, guys? Hanging in there. How about you? Oh, yeah, same here. Uh, we all know that uh, the Bengals uh, had a narrow bite against the Why is that? craziest idea in the world we'll get you off the air here Terrell I know uh my buddy John here is a is a is a good uh film guy and draft guy so we'll talk about your question off the air appreciate you calling in my friend um John uh, you know I, I, I again we're I think we're giving up on John Ross a little too early in my opinion now I think if we're talking this point next year early in the season before the trade deadline and John Ross still has yet to make an impact, then I think that's a viable conversation. I think we need to give him, you know, a, a full game, a full year schedule at least to kind of see, and, you know, a year later trading a number nine overall pick for a mid round pick. I don't know if that makes sense. And who knows if there's even demand out there at the, at this point for him. So that's one thing. Um, I do think Terrell has valid points with 
guard, tackle, tight end, linebacker being the team's biggest needs. Your thoughts on both of his areas he brought up. Didn't we just have this conversation two weeks ago? Feel like it. <laughs> like, 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 I, I get it. He's, he's, in, he's injury prone. He, he can't stay healthy. For, it may not be the extent of Tyler Eifert, but you know he, he runs, he pulls a muscle. It, he's out for two weeks. I get it. Still, he's 22, years, 22, 22, 23 years old, and he has immense value to the offense. Give, give him time. We just had this conversation two weeks ago. I, I'm not going to continue on about that. Um, yeah, but definitely right tackle, right guard, any linebacker who can play in space. Definite needs for the Bengals, and John Ross is still needs for the Bengals. And if they get rid of him for a, a second or third round pick, the odds of finding another guy who can do what he does when he's on the field it's it's, it's minimal. So I, I I don't agree with it, but I, because of how much needed he is in the offense, because the Miami game I think was noticeable, and I think they could have had a lot more success against the Steelers in the passing game with Ross on the field. So give him time. Like yeah, year two, I'm not open to it, especially in a year where you've already lost Eifert. Croft's going to be gone for a long time. Um, you saw what Cody Core did when John Ross wasn't on the field. Uh, Josh Malone, who I was really big on, has done nothing. Um, mm. It's basically been the Tyler Boyd, A.J. Green show. So, and I think both yourself and our good friend Joe Goodberry have shown some things on Twitter and whatnot to see, to show at least what he does as a decoy what he brings as a decoy on the field because of his speed. So I, I think you still got to say, Hey, you know, the Bengals, if you say, if you, if you match up AJ green, Tyler Boyd and John Ross as a trio of wide receivers against much of the league, I think that's a top three, top five trio in terms of overall talent and everything in this league. So I think, I think you got to leave that alone, especially with the Eifert injury, the Croft injury and all of that. I, I totally agree with Terrell's assessment of needs, you know, mm -hmm. I think, and I, I wrote this in a post on Cincy jungle. I think that man, you know, that middle part of the defense, the linebackers, even some safety help. I mean, uh, there's, they, they still can't cover tight ends. Uh, well, they can't cover a uh, Kenyon Drake had a receiving touchdown against them the week prior. They need those athletic guys. And whether that's a tweener safety linebacker, like a Dion Buchanan or, like what, uh, uh, who is it, Mark Barron does for, for kind of the Rams. I mean, whether it's getting a guy like that, they need to have someone there. And I, they have Bates, but Bates is learning on the fly right now. Right. Um, you know, I, I just kind of think that they need some of these guys and uh, some of those types of guys and, in, in today's NFL. And I, and I think that it was, it was like an anonymous defense coordinator was on record saying today that, the modern defense is more focused on forcing turnovers than limiting yards because of the way that the offense offensive game has evolved. So I understand that, you know, every team gives up a lot of chunk plays over the middle. That's just, just the way that the offenses, you know, are operated now. But at the same time, you still need to have playmakers who can cover lots of ground over the middle of the field. And that's just something that they don't have, you know, for the longest time we've been asking for them to get those space players, whether it's linebackers or safeties, that can cover a lot of ground from number to number, from sideline to sideline, and they just they just haven't been able to get that. And I, and and to add on to Charles' point, I also think that another edge player might be needed because Jordan Willis still hasn't shown really anything. And for as fun that Sam Hubbard has been, you know, in the splash plays, he still needs to show that he can produce pressure as well. Because sometimes it's 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 just Carl Lawson and Carlos Dunlap doing it all, and there's no one really behind him that 
force any consistent pressure. I think Willis is kind of on the hot seat here because he hasn't been dealing with injuries, but he hasn't really shown the necessary progress pass rusher. Yeah, and I, that was another guy I was excited about. You know, it kind of reminds me uh, back in, gosh, what was it, 2012, when the Bengals selected both Devin Still and Brandon Thompson. I thought both those guys would be, you know, really good players for this Bengals defense, and Thompson was okay at his peak and still – God bless him for everything he's been through yeah. and everything. I mean, I, I can understand why football took maybe a back seat at times, but um, you know, you kind of hope that being a big, what is he, a Big Ten defensive player of the year at some point for yeah. Penn State, you kind of figured he had he had uh, a bright future. But it is what it is. Um, we're, we've we got a, a lot of questions. I apologize if we didn't get to everybody's call. We had other calls that we, we just couldn't get to. If, if you have some, we'll continue to try and take some uh, as we close up here. We're gonna we're gonna talk about the Chiefs in just a second. I do want to talk about this though, John. This was a question we received on Twitter at Bengals OBI from our good friend Carlos Andre. Uh, it's there's two things that Carlos Andre brought up. Of course, it's uh, hashtag fire Marvin time, and he wants to get that to to go viral. We we talked about Marvin quite a bit on this episode, but it's also out in tape time, my friend. Out in yeah. tape, um, Cody Core dropped a ball that uh, I mean, you could have handed you. Yeah, I don't think you could have handed the ball off in a more perfect spot than the ball he dropped on a third and long. Yeah, I mean it was in stride. It was lofted up nice, right between the numbers, and just absolutely drops it. Then there was another one. Tougher catch, contested. He got hit, drops one that would have been another first down. The, the, the big one, the third down one, that was huge. I mean, yeah. that, was, that was just gigantic. And, I mean, you don't want to crucify the guy because he's had limited opportunities as it is. So, I mean, it's difficult. But at the same time, big game. Big situation. You know your number is going to be called at some point because John Ross is out. You got to step up, right? So now you have Tyler Eifert hurt, Tyler Croft hurt, Core's Core and Malone have been ineffective. So now there's a lot of calling for out and Tate. Carlos Andre says, uh, "Do you think they should have activated Tate?" Uh, one could argue he isn't prepared, but come on, worse than Core, who didn't catch a pass for almost two years. I bet he isn't. Um, you kept him for a reason. You mm -hmm. like his size. I don't know. Yeah, and the routes that Core ran, like Auden Tate may not be that refined as a route runner, but I have confidence that Tate can at least box out defenders at that point. Just It was like a simple little little post route and a little over the middle oh, yeah. route. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just a little, like, it's not too common. But it would have been for like 20 yards. I yeah, mean, exactly. it, was, it, was, it was a big play. Like that's a that's a catch that Tate at Florida State made in his sleep, and for right. all the for all the knocks that were on him, you know that's a play that even I would expect him to make. And just it's it's just like if he if he can't get activated over Core, who who's on the team mainly for special teams, but if he if if if, if he's like as bad as they say he is in practice, like I just it's kind of scary to me. And obviously, this is the avenue that we've been down before with young players under Marvin Lewis who maybe aren't as bad like it, not in practice as the narrative may seem to be, but it, it's just, it's just odd that, you know, with Ross injured with the struggles from core that we just haven't heard anything about Tate at all in practice. And, you know, it, it's, it's just hard to predict that changing 
and so we see it happen because like with any Marvin Lewis decision, it's just impossible to foretell what he's going to do and how he's, how he's going to build a team week to week, just, just from what we see in the past. But yeah, I definitely think that Tate, you know, he, at this point, if Ross is still unhealthy, when with what core showed, you know, at the very least it's Malone's time to get some targets. And if, again, if he doesn't do well, then you have to turn to Tate at that point because you have seven receivers for a reason. You might as well use them all until you find one competent replacement. Yeah. And, uh, you know, core was one of those guys, height, weight, speed. You liked, you, you know, he didn't have a lot of college production, but you like what he put out there. He was a special teams guy that Marvin Lewis always covets at the back end of running back and wide receiver groups. So that's why he made the team. Uh, Adam Tate's still raw, but I would not be surprised, especially if, Know, Croft remains out for a while. Obviously, Eifert's on IR. Um, maybe John Ross misses some more time. I would not be surprised as the season goes on if you start seeing out and taping on the active list. I just now whether that means he's going to get a lot of passes his way or whatever and take advantage of those opportunities. I don't know, but um, I would not be surprised if down the road, especially with injuries and all that stuff, if out and tape. Uh, goes forward. We have a, another listener question that segues nicely into the Chiefs preview. Thank you all for your calls, your texts, your comments in the YouTube chat, live YouTube chat, and Twitter, all of that, and uh, all of the kind comments uh, that you always give us on this program. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, a part of SB Nation's national network. We're proud to be a part of that. You can get this program on iTunes. You can get it on YouTube. You can get it on cincyjungle.com. It's also available on Art19. So, uh, we're not on SoundCloud anymore, but Art19. And we're on Stitcher. We're on Google Play. I mentioned iTunes. And uh, so number of different mediums. Check us out. And uh, we want you, if you're able to join us live, we have a live YouTube stream every week. We do this show that is available on our YouTube channel. So subscribe and get alerted to that. Or uh, we're on cincyjungle.com every week as well. So you can check that out. Uh, we appreciate all of the support. Obviously, um, there's been a lot of excitement with uh, and um, some new faces around these parts because of what the Bengals have done this year as opposed to other years. And uh, it's also good to hear from and see some of the old faces from a long time ago and uh, from the beginning of this program showing up uh, both on the phone lines and whatnot. We're going to get out of here in just a few minutes, uh, but this is a question that segues nicely, John, into previewing the Chiefs. And it is from the gentleman who said he was a first time tuner, tuner inner. <laughs> uh, and it's, I, I called him Antonio before, but it's, I, I believe it's Antonino DeSandro. Um, he says Sunday night will be 44 degrees in Kansas city. I know we're all talking about a shootout, but could the weather work to our advantage against a young quarterback? Hmm. To my, it's a, I think that's a great question. Yeah, um, it is. I, I think, there's a couple of facets here at play, okay? And I, I, I don't want your take. Just kidding. I do. Want your take. <laughs> um, I, you know, I think based on last week, like you said, I think the Bengals abandoned Joe Mixon early and too early and until maybe late when he kind of contributed late. I think the Bengals, as cliche and old school football as it may sound with that weather being what it is on the road. I think the Bengals will give Mixon far more touches mm -hmm. to keep Mahomes and, and company off of the field. Um, 
But I also think when you look at, I mean, it's it's tough to throw the ball in cold weather. I mean, it just it, it yeah it dies, especially if there's wind. You know, I mean, it, it just it's like throwing a big rock. Um, I think when you go arm strength, I think we know who wins that battle. Yeah, in cold in cold weather, and then when you go atmosphere, Arrowhead Stadium has been on i think they shattered a guinness world record of being the loudest stadium ever mm. so i i think you can sit here and say yes in general the shootout thing may be overblown but i don't know if that necessarily means that that's in favor of the Bengals, right yeah and it, it's hard to throw the ball in the cold weather it's also hard to tackle in cold weather oh and it hurts a lot more oh, and I, I guess i guess kansas city has has grass instead of turf so like maybe uh, you, you know they have, they have that slight advantage because you're not ta- you're not landing on turf, so it doesn't hurt as much. But it, it, even if they can't throw for 500 yards on, or it, even if Mahomes can't you know air it out all he wants, they still have a great running back in Kareem Hunt, who is actually right behind Joe Mixon in terms of successful run percentage out of shotgun. And as we know, Andy Reid, you know, he dials up a great scheme, you know, in and year in and year out, so he knows how to utilize his players really well. So. If the Bengals can, you know, run Mixon into the ground, they might run Kareem Hunt to the ground. And how the Bengals managed to bring a very good running back and Hunt down, who has, you know, great center balance and great yards after contact ability, that will also that might be, you know, turning that might be the underrated big key matchup of the game. And you know, if they can't do that, then Kansas City will still find a way to put up points on the board. So uh, it, Kansas City is one of those teams that, you know, if one thing doesn't work, they have, you know, the personnel and the weapons to just do something else and get kind of the same results in the, at the end of the day. So I definitely think that, you know, the weather c- can be, you know, uh, a, a, a bigger factor than uh, what's maybe some of us thought because that was, that weather information was new information to me. But I also think that, you know, it, 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 we can't really assume that Kansas City will be held under 30 points just because Mahomes can't throw, you know, 10 deep balls to tra- Tyreek Hill during this game. I think that the Chiefs are just too talented on offense that, you know, the Bengals defense can't really assume that, you know, they'll be able to stop them all game. Very true. How confident are you in the Bengals defense? I mean, I I think we're all not very confident, at least with the back seven, uh, both because of injuries and where they rank in a lot of categories. But how confident are you, even with Darquez Denard, Denard probably out, Sean Williams potentially out. He, he sounds like he might be a game time decision with a concussion type of issue. And the Bengals at least containing um, Kareem Hunt, their tight end. I, I mean, I, uh, you know, Travis Kelsey's one of the best in the league. I, how, it's it's really weird to say. I think Ty- Tyreek Hill has an Antonio Brown type of factor, speed, all that kind of stuff. Cincinnati has had an up and down record with corralling Antonio Brown at times. Um, you know they've they've made him non factor at times. He was obviously a factor last week, but I, it's almost to me that Hunt out of the backfield, Kelsey as a receiver, are two weapons that are almost more scary to me than Tyreek Hill as weird as that may sound. No, I think it's, I think that's a great point. And I think what we're going to find out early in the game with Sean Williams, potentially missing the game that will insert Clayton Fajetto and 
or Fedulum into the starting lineup. With him there, I wonder if they just kind of leave Jesse Bates alone in center in center field and they run a lot of cover one, cover three. And that will put a lot of stress on Bates, making sure that Hill doesn't get over the top of either William Jackson or Drake or Patrick, whichever side he's lined up against. So I think from the Bengals standpoint, their main goal is to not let Hill get over top of them because he is their best weapon, uh, um, you know, just in terms of a big playability. And when all that's going on, with the Bengals' struggles to cover the middle field, that even op- opens it up a lot more for guys like Hun and and Kelsey to you know either be you know checkdowns or running crossing routes or just doing anything in that extra large vacant space that Tyreek Hill has created. And it's basically the effect that all of us want to see John Ross create for the Bengals' offense, and that 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 is scary to me. And I, I, to answer your original question, I think that. You know, maybe the Chiefs come out firing, they get a touchdown out of the gate. But I also think that, you know, the Chiefs offensive line has some issues. And I think that the Bengals defensive line can also exploit them. They can pressure Mahomes up the middle. They get them maybe routed a little bit. And they they might have some drives where they're able to stop them from crossing the 50 and forcing them to punt. But with, with this kind of offense, all it really takes is kind of one play to really break things open. And at that point, maybe maybe it might just be too late. So the offense is definitely going to be tasked upon matching them drive for drive because as good as the defense might be able to potentially limit them, I think there's definitely going to be some type of breaking point late in the game where the Chiefs just kind of break off some explosive plays and it'll put a lot of stress back on the Bengals' offense to match that. So Marvin Lewis is six, I believe he's six and two against Kansas City in his tenure and has arguably the biggest win of his entire Bengals career mm-hmm. against Kansas City, which was back in 03 that put the Bengals basically on the map. Uh, put Chad Johnson on the map. Kansas City at the time, I believe, was 9-0. and Cincinnati was 4-5, and 5-4, and they, they stunned Kansas City at home thanks to Peter Warwick, if you remember that name, uh, coming up with some huge plays. Chad Johnson coming up with a couple of plays. John Kitna was quarterback. Carson Palmer was riding the bench. So Cincinnati has beaten Kansas City in an important contest before. Uh, it's been on both fields. This is probably the most talented Kansas City team. I mean, I, I, you can go back to that 2003 team that was 9-0. I, I, would, I would venture to say that this is a better Kansas City team. But this may be a better Cincinnati team than we've seen in years past based on their resiliency, their ability to come back. Andy Dalton's playing at a high level. Uh, the defense is, is feast or famine, but when it's feast, it's feast, right? Yeah. So – how confident are you in this year's team, even if they get down, like you said, maybe Mahomes gets gets an early lead, all that kind of stuff. How confident are you based on what's transpired in those first five weeks, what transpired last week? How confident are you with the Bengals to not only make this a, a close game, but potentially sneak out of there with a win, even with the injuries and all the issues? It's the funniest thing because I don't – like I go into this game, you know, excited – to watch a young Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City offense, you know, do their thing, even if it's against the team that I root for. And I'm excited to do that because I don't expect the Bengals to win because it's on a Sunday night game and potentially the quarterback will be better than the quarterback of the Bengals. But for the first time, you know, going into these kind of games, 
I do kind of have confidence that they have a chance because of Andy Dalton. That's something that I'm not used to saying after watching him for seven years, but he's starting to play at a more consistent and level and stable, you know, level of play. And that's just not something that we could say for, you know, the majority of the time that he's been here. He's been like kind of like that roller coaster. He has ups and he has downs. This year has just kind of been a steady positive regression. And that's obviously good to see. And that's and then going up against a defense that is arguably or is statistically worse than the Bengals in terms of pass defense, that gives him a chance. That gives him a chance to at least compete and stay within range of Kansas City's offense. And uh, again, I don't have confidence that they can win games like this until they do, which is why I go into this game expecting a loss. But with, with the way the Dolan and, and the offense is playing around him, that it, it, there, there's still still a bit of of a light under the or a light in the darkness, if you will. And that's something that you know you're not used to saying when in, in regards to Andy Dolan, who's always been inconsistent. For once, he's starting to be consistent and he's starting, and people are can rely on him to put up. You know, whatever kind of production is needed for them to win the game. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I would. I think he's got seven interceptions on the year. Dalton does. Um, I'll need to double check that, but yeah, I would. Venture, yeah, I, I would venture to guess that at least three of those were not on him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he has been. He's been very good. Yeah. Uh, Going on that point, you know, you, you you probably have John Ross back. He went full go at practice on, on Wednesday. You don't know about Billy Price. Probably not him. Probably not Gio Bernard. Definitely not Eifert. Definitely not Croft. Is the You go up against the worst passing defense in the Chiefs in the NFL this year. They do have Eric Berry, who's a very still a high-quality player. Is the game plan you think – and, and, and not just, hey, let's get into the Bengals' mindset, but it, what's, from an outsider perspective, what's the better path to victory? Do you play to that weakness and you wing the ball around, you get Tyler Boyd involved, potentially John Ross, A.J. Green? You know, do you, do, do you go that route? Or, like I said earlier, you're a new school guy, you know, I, I – I mean that in a positive way, but you know, <laughs> and, and, and today's NFL, that's what it is. It's pass, pass, pass. I mean, third and twos are not a run. It's not a run play. It's a pass play for most teams. Right. So, you know, or, or is the play, you know what? We have to give Joe Mixon 35 to 40 touches this game. And if he's effective, he can grind the clock. Um, I, I, I just I don't know where to balance that because I mean you can you can go exactly to a team's weakness and say well yeah we're going to pass 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 but Mixon has shown the ability especially late in games to really carry the Bengals pun intended um, to wins and to big plays you know what I mean no yeah like the, the one of the reasons why they lost or why they weren't as successful on offense still is because they. They shied away from Mixon. I don't mind if Mixon gets 20, 25 touches or carries in this game. I just want the vast majority of those to come out of the shotgun because that's what works. I want them to do what works for them. I want them to just put their players in the best positions for them to succeed. If that's running Mixon out of the shotgun or out of the pistol, which he did all in his career at Oklahoma, then do that. Like, don't be, don't try to pigeonhole a player into doing something that they can't produce in. If they don't have an offensive line, that can run inside zone with Dalton under center 
then they can't do that. Even, even against a lowly defense in Kansas City, if it doesn't work, don't keep trying to do it. Do what works with your personnel. And I would perfectly be okay with Mixon getting 20, 25 carries under those circumstances because odds are, based off the data from the first six weeks, they're going to be successful doing it. You know, have Boyd and Uzoma as those safety blankets underneath and give Green positive matchups against a weak secondary. You know, they have they have, they have have the weapons to do this. They have the personnel to put up points against Kansas City, even in an atmosphere that historically they've done bad at. But just... Just put your players in the best position to succeed. Whatever, whatever route, new school, old school that takes, then so be it. I, I love that because you have kind of, I guess, sort of contradicted a comment by one of our good friends, Michael Myers, in the YouTube chat. Because I have been always been a proponent, like you said, put your guys in the best situations to potentially succeed, the best game plans to potentially succeed, right? Mm-hmm. So I've been a big proponent. Hey, you know, John Ross, if you if if, if you don't if you're not confident in him on offense, why not try him on kick returns or punt returns? He was electric at those in college, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there are other guys like that on the Bengals and they're oh we don't we want to save him. We don't want to get want him to get hurt. So with Giovanni Bernard out, Mark Walton being relatively ineffective at times, the Bengals cutting ties with Thomas Rawls and a really weird signing that happened there. Michael Meyer says you can't run Mixon more than 20 to 25 carries. If he goes down, all we have left is Walton. They rode him against the Ravens to a win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Bengals got up because of the pass early, but they rode him to a win later. He he gutted out a performance, had a knee knee procedure done from there is there validity i mean more often than not i would say michael disagree because you gotta you gotta give your your best players the football but the Bengals are really thin at that position does he have a point or is it just like hey still got to give him the ball that's what you pay him for that's what you drafted him in the second round for yeah if it works it works like again if they use him smartly and that's you know not running him under the eye formation you know 13 15 times a game then yeah then yeah, by by all means, like you can't you can't just like go into a week with saying hey we're gonna give Mixon twenty five carries because someone said that we're like twenty and one be- when our running back carries the ball twenty five times they carry twenty five times and get seventy yards what's the point right you do like, you do what works yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, and whatever whatever the course of the game kind of takes you right if you find soft spots in the in the Chiefs secondary expose them you know get get some short passes out there and then. You know, based off that, try to try to get one deep with with Green. And if you're having success, you know, stretching the Chiefs' defense laterally on some outside zone runs, then hit back with like a with a bootleg and get Uzoma out on some yards after catch. You know, just kind of work off what works and just keep going from there. And whatever, again, like I think I've said this like three times, whatever kind of happens, what works during the game, just keep doing that and just kind of build off of it. And, and if something doesn't work, just don't be stubborn just because you think it'll, it will. Right, and I see Michael's point because of the the decimation at certain positions. But you, you draft guys for a reason. You fall in love with guys in the draft process for a reason. You draft them high for a reason. You pay them a lot of money for a reason. And a lot of times at the skill positions, it's to get the ball in their hands. So uh, you you can't go into a game and be like, well, we should really. I mean, sometimes you got to do that, especially. You know, if someone's coming back from a major injury or something like that, you go, yeah, you know, limit. It's kind of like a pitch count, right? But if it's a game you need to win. Football is different from baseball. I mean, 
to me, you got to give the guy, you got to give the guy touches, especially if it's working. Uh, let's get out of here with your prediction here, John. We've gone a little long, and I'm I'm worried that the Cincinnati li- library is going to kick you out there, buddy. <laughs> um, uh, what's your prediction in this game? I, I teeter back and forth, to be honest with you about, uh, what I feel on this one. I'm going to put you on the spot first. 31, 20, yeah, 31, 20 chiefs. Like until, until they can win in this kind of situation, I just don't expect them to, I expect, you know, for the most part, a, a decently close game, but I, I just think that as the game goes on, the chiefs will kind of find a way to break through that Bengals defense in one way or another, get some explosive plays. And that might ultimately be the difference. Like most of the time, the bet, the better quarterback wins and there's only one or two quarterbacks that are playing at a higher level, a higher level than Patrick Mahomes is and, and a impossible, you know, venue to win at in a in, um on Sunday night where they just don't have success. I just, I just can't say with any confidence that they're, that they're going to win. So they very well could because of a couple of things with the Chiefs pass defense and the way Dalton's playing. But until it happens, it, I just can't expect it. So 31-20 Chiefs. I'm, I'm going to say this, like you said. Is this a game the Bengals could win? Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I, mean, I think they can win. Um, I, I, I think that this Kansas City team is very beatable. Uh, they're very, very, very good, but they're very beatable. Um I think a lot of factors are going against Cincinnati this week. And I think, I do think that if the Bengals end up pulling this one out, that's, that's, that's a pretty big season shifter. Yeah. Um, if, if they can win this game, both for, you know, primetime TV purposes, beating a very good team on their turf, rebounding from the Steelers. I mean, if they could do all of that, that's, that's impressive. I'm going to say this. I don't think they win. I think they very well can. I think it's probably going to be like a 26-23 or uh, 30-27, something like that. I think it's going to be a fun game. I think it's going to be entertaining. The Bengals have shown that they will be in almost every single game late. And I think that's going to, what, that's going to be what happens here, whether that means we're going to experience similar heartbreak to what transpired last week or just the Bengals, you know, not being able to close out or what have you. I think it's going to be very close. I think it's a tough venue. I will say this. Andy Reid has a lot of Marvin Lewis DNA in him as a head coach. He is a guy who does not always win the big games. He is a guy that has not necessarily done well in the playoffs. He's done better than Marvin Lewis in the playoffs. But there, there is a lot of Marvin Lewis-ish stuff going on there. Or I guess you, you could say there's a lot of Andy Reedish stuff going on there. If Andy Reed's been around for a while. So, um, you know, I, I would not be surprised if the Bengals pulled this one out, but based mm-hmm. on last week, based on the injuries, uh, based on prime time, I hate to say it. I, I just, and the team they're playing. I don't know if I see it, but uh, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of how I see things going. I see Michael Myers, 20, 21, 28 chiefs. Um, I saw some other people that are 
saying Bengals, Bengals, Bengals. So that's kind of interesting. Um, who knows? You know, they could rebound. We'll see. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Appreciate you tuning in, even after a Bengals loss and a heartbreaking one against the Steelers. You can get this program on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. You can also get it on cincyjungle.com, Art19, and YouTube. We're on all of those channels. You can get in touch with us and follow us. So you can subscribe to us on you know, those various channels as well as on Twitter at BengalsOBI. Uh, you can subscribe to us on our YouTube channel. Please do so. John Sheeran is at, at John underscore Sheeran on Twitter. Uh, do follow him. Uh, he's, a, he's a good follow. Uh, even even though I like to give him some help. He's a good fellow. Uh, John, any final thoughts before uh, we get out of here? I appreciate you making the effort to book a room at the UC <laughs> library to, to join us. Yeah, I guess I guess you kind of brought up a point just, just real quick that I, I didn't. If this is a playoff game, Andy Reid versus Marvin Lewis, that, that that's just a coin flip. So I don't trust all right. those coaches. To like, oh, yeah, in a, in a playoff scenario. So that's that. That's also another factor that kind of opens the door a little bit. But still, it, it's it's one of their biggest prove it games of the year. And I said that last week, and I think it'll just tell us a lot about what this team really is. Quickly, if the Bengals say uh, if, say if the Bengals you know play a competitive game, it's pretty close. They end up losing four and they going to four and three. How do you how do you feel about them going forward? I feel that they can still make the playoffs, but I would still have the same minimal confidence that they can do anything once they're there. Yep. That's, you know, and it, it, it stinks that that's where we're at, but, you know, usually a team that has two poor seasons in a row, they rebound nicely and start off pretty well. You know, usually you're like, hey, we can make the playoffs and maybe make a little run, but we've seen this song and dance before. We have. We really have. Um, even though the Bengals have a couple more quality wins under their belt and have done some different things than in years past, we, we've just seen this song and dance before. And unfortunately, fans are kind of still, even though they're satisfied with a 4-2 and two record through the first basically third of the season, it's kind of show-me-more mode. You know, and uh, the Bengals do have to show more. They need to start beating some of these quality teams in, in big stages and None more so <laughs> than this Sunday. This is one of the bigger games in a really long time for the Bengals, and uh, hopefully we can talk about a win next week. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Gazenza. Get this program how you can. Thanks for all of your support. Get all of the opinions, news, analysis, updates, and everything at CincyJungle.com. And uh, we'll, see you. we'll see you next week, and hopefully we're talking about a win. Who day, folks. Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else to listen to podcasts, check it out.